Welcome to Studio Two on this final day of August. I'm Cherry Gregg. Final day of August. I know. (laughs) I'm Avi Wolfman, Aaron, wondering where the time went. Um, As we transition to September, it's the perfect time to talk to Philadelphia Superintendent Tony Watlington about the upcoming school year. We want to hear from you, by the way. Do you have questions for the superintendent? We know you do. Our number is 888-477-9499. You can also email us, studio2 at org for that upcoming segment. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about. And soon we're going to hear about literally groundbreaking news from the Delaware waterfront. And we close the week off with some Studio 2 trivia (laughs) and an in-studio contestant, a very special one. But before all of this, Avi, tell me about Bryce and the Phils. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. Okay, uh, he plays for the Phillies. No, that's not the news. Um, Um, Stepped to the plate in the mm -hmm. bottom of the eighth during yesterday's game and did this. And a high fly ball to deep right center field. Could he have done it? Renfro's going back toward the wall. It's gone! It's number 300. So what Tom McCarthy is referring to there, number 300, the 300th home run of Bryce Harper's already illustrious career. A very hard milestone to reach. Only the 12th active player to do so, Bryce Harper, is. Unfortunately, the Phillies then blew the game in the ninth. (laughs) That's the Phillies for you, though. You know, we love them. We hate them. Mm -hmm. They they take you up. They bring you down. But still, uh, most people were in good spirits because of Bryce Harper getting that big milestone. Yeah, maybe, you know, they lost, you know, 10 to 8 to the Angels. But hey, you know, when you get a 300th home run, that's pretty that's pretty cool. And I'll say this about Harper. He has really for a guy who did not start his career here. Um forged such an intense bond mm-hmm. with the fans so quickly. It's really like nothing I've ever seen. Um, well, when did you're you, hitting the home run. Well, you're man. hitting home runs. It, but, make but, you love me. I, he, I just love you. He yeah, really invests you sort of in the relationship mm-hmm. with the he fans. Does. Did you hear about the, um, I'm going off the notes here, but Chuck from Mount Airy, did you hear about that? I did not hear about Chuck. Okay, so earlier in the week, Harper said to reporters that he was listening to WIP, the call-in sports Aww. radio station, and there's this guy who always calls in named Chuck from Mount Airy, and he said, Harper said, he got so fired up listening to this guy that he went out and hit a home run for him. That was so nice. For and Chuck so from Mount Airy. Chuck will remember this forever. For, forever. He caused someone to hit a home run. And now we need a Studio 2 guest to do something, to do of, something a, like that. of equivalent and, coolness. And get Bryce Harper all, you know, pumped up. I love it. Congratulations to Bryce Harper and to the Phils for that. A um, little bit more serious news. Uh, Ghost Guns, they're back in the headlines, Avi. Can you believe that? Mm. Unfortunately, um, Three men from Montgomery County, they were charged with manufacturing ghost guns out of a home in Hatfield. Montgomery County DA Kevin Steele says that this trio ran a sophisticated gun trafficking operation. Federal investigators, they discovered the alleged gun trafficking ring when a shipment of silencers, you know, the things that go on the edge of the guns, they arrived from China and they were intercepted by the U.S. Customs and Border Control. One of the defendants, by the way, is a convicted felon and wasn't supposed to be having access to guns at all. Interesting, yeah. Now, if you forgot what a ghost gun is, they're shipped in parts, they're assembled from kits into actual working guns. They don't have serial numbers, which means they are untraceable and folks with can get them without a background check. I mean, they've been a major problem. Increasingly in Philadelphia, police confiscated over 500 ghost guns 
in 2022. That's up from 95 in 2019. Mm. And we told you earlier this week about Kim Brady Carriker, the suspect in Philly's deadliest mass shooting in the King Sessing neighborhood. By the way, he had two ghost guns. Yeah. An yeah. AR-15 style rifle and a nine millimeter handgun. So this is this is serious stuff. Yeah, it really is. And uh, one of the things, you know, you you think about with ghost guns, as you mentioned, is their untraceability, right? And that's a huge issue. And so I was interested in this case, uh, and it's all alleged at this point. No mm-hmm. one's been convicted. But what the investigators were saying about how they put the pieces together here, and it started with something that was intercepted. Like yes. customs, mm-hmm. right? And so perhaps that's somewhere in the chain where you can monitor this type of activity mm-hmm. and, and make sure nothing illegal is going on. I don't know how repeatable that is as an investigative technique, but it was something that registered to me yeah. as I was as and I these was are silencers. Yeah. These were real parts. So uh, the good news is that, you know, folks are cracking now. They're finding these folks. They're putting them in jail and uh, hopefully getting more and more ghost guns off the streets. We uh, were intrigued, yes. tickled by mm. a column written by uh, the Inquirer, Stephanie Farr, recently. Stephanie went on X, that's Twitter. Yeah, um, if you forgot. <laughs> and asked folks, what's the most Philly job? And this is some, these are some of the answers. Pole greaser, mm. septa bus driver. Yeah. Honk, honk. <laughs> I'm just, you know, adding a little sound effect. Go sound ahead. effect. Uh, historical reenactor. You got a sound for that? No, I don't. <laughs> Nothing. I came PPA up worker, the sound of ripping a ticket. Uh-huh. Uh, tasty cake. Yep. Tasty cake. Truck uh-huh. driver. Um, Gritty's guards. Fanatics. Hot dog cannon driver. On and on. Any of those speak to you? Well, the one that caught my eye was carving out your own niche, a.k.a. a hustler. Like, I right. feel like that's who I would be. That's you your know what I mean? Job. Like, yeah, I would be like. You I'm are a hustler. A hustler. I'm, a, I'm a hustler. You are. Yeah, I, that's what I would do, which means I would create my own job. And I don't know what that would be. But you talk to a lot of people. They have like four jobs. Do you agree with these are the most Philly jobs? Um, Pole greaser. That's not a job. <laughs> that's yeah. not like a job. That's, that's, that's a not reach. Like a job that's job. a reach. It's a philosophical question. What makes a job a Philly job? Yeah. I kind of felt like well, and this is so serious, I guess, compared to what the column is doing but uh, like being a welder at the navy yard like that's a historic place in philadelphia mm-hmm. so many people have worked there over the generations like that's such a philly job to me yeah but nothing like a soft pretzel street vendor yes that is that's also, a that's a philly job. that's a very philly job yeah food philly food, food. It's we're talking about philly food uh-huh. speaking of a philly thing we have been beaten at the thing we do best cheesesteaks mm. i know main street grill in Lewiston, Idaho, has broken the record for the world's longest cheesesteak. They claimed the unofficial title on August 26th when they built this behemoth 722.8 foot long cheesesteak. Don't forget the point eight. I, I don't want to, you know, I want to short them. I don't want to short them. <laughs> Philadelphians have held the record in the past. I mean, in 2021, more than a dozen Philly chefs and restaurants collaborated to build a 510-foot cheesesteak. That was like right outside my doorstep, by the way. And it stretched through the Italian market and South Philly. But by the way, neither the Philly record nor the Idaho one is officially recognized by the Guinness World Records because Guinness World Records has not been monitoring the title for largest cheesesteak. By the way, I say challenge to folks out there. I'm willing to roll up my sleeves. You say what? 
challenge. Okay. Challenge. Yes. But challenge because it sounds cooler. <laughs> challenge. We need to get some Philly people together and we need to make a 800 foot cheesesteak. Well, I'll roll up my uh, sleeves. I'm going to put cold water. On- I'm going to put cold water on all this because this is all. These were not. None of these should have counted as records. Did you actually look at what the cheesesteak, the longest cheesesteak was? It was just a bunch of little cheesesteaks lying Lined next up. to each other. That's not. How does that the world's largest cheesesteak? Because they're in proximity to each other. You said we could have beat that a long time ago with the sheer uh, number well, of cheesesteaks. Well, that this we was make. the the one that happened in Philly and the one in Idaho. I I recognize neither of them. I yeah. think they're. I think someone needs to completely reimagine this entire endeavor of the we'll largest cheesesteak. We'll in the future, you might be able to get a cheesesteak in Old City somewhere, maybe Jim's or Campos, and walk on over to the Delaware Riverfront. And that is because they are putting a cap mm. on I-95. This will officially break ground on Tuesday. It's a huge project. It involves building a 12-acre cap over I-95 between Walnut and Chestnut Streets, connecting them to the waterfront. The project has been a long time in the making and with us now to tell us more about the park, the construction process, the timeline and what it means for the city is Joe Forkin, president of the Delaware River Waterfront Corporation, the group in charge of overseeing this entire project. Joe, welcome to Studio Two. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So exciting times. I want you to just sort of explain what is a cap and this park that's going to be built over 95. Explain the concept for us. Yeah, so when you think about the, the historic district in the waterfront right now, the, the river is actually 30 feet lower than the city. Um, and so you have I-95 going through there and Delaware Avenue and all those moving lanes of traffic. And so to navigate your way to the waterfront, you have to c- cross sort of narrow pedestrian bridges. Um, so the thought here was, can you, can you take effectively and reasonably one block and have this sort of demonstration project where we say we can reconnect the river mm. to the city in this one area. Um, and so it, it's a deck, decking or bridge structure, a consistent uh, overall bridge structure over that one block from Chestnut to Walnut Street. It's about four acres, and it will cover all of those lanes of moving traffic. And when you get to the east side of Delaware Avenue, if you think of like a piano hinge, the park will then gently tilt down to the hmm. riverfront, spanning that 30-foot difference and seamlessly connecting pedestrians, bicyclists, joggers, however you want, whatever mode that you would take to get to the waterfront, seamlessly then connecting you back into the historic district and center city as a whole. And what does that do for Philadelphia? Because many see this project as not just a, a major project in and of itself, but a catalyst for that whole neighborhood. Mm-hmm. How does a connection change the trajectory of that area. Yeah, so in, in this, I'll go all the way back to our master plan. So uh, we, we created a master plan in 2012 um, that was adopted by the city of Philadelphia that became a district plan. And one of the principles of those plans was that the public sector, in this case, DRWC or Delaware River Waterfront Corp, would take the lead in putting infrastructure in place, parks, trails, jogging areas, active parks like the Skating Rink and Harbor Park and Cherry Street Pier, and based on the success of those, it would leverage and attract private investment to the riverfront. So start to redevelop that yeah. with a real neighborhood down there and residents down there. And so we've been successful in the small parks, and they've really created a place on the waterfront. And now this is the big moment of Philadelphia. Mm. Um, this is the 12-acre moment, the center of the waterfront, connecting to the historic district. Um, and I think that really rounds out the waterfront then and all the private offerings and investment that will then follow that. 
And then that could potentially, what, sort of spur more investment in the waterfront itself. Exactly. So right now, uh, based upon, so like, Ray Street Pier and Cherry Street Pier, you see things open around that, like the Fringe Arts Building yeah. um, or Morgan's Pier that opened up. And up at Spring Garden Street, you see the uh, what we call the Festival Pier Development, which is a new residential and commercial development connecting to the riverfront. So that that's this theory on a smaller scale. But when you start thinking about the impact that this – incredible transformative park will have. There's about seven developable acres on one side of it, another two on another side of it. So all of a sudden you see a new neighborhood that can start to pop up and surround this that's seamlessly then connected into the core of the city. Now this project is costing hundreds of millions of dollars. It took over a decade to get us here. What are some of the major challenges of a project like this? And you talked about some of the opportunities as well. Yeah, so I, I think the, the challenge is that anytime you start talking about really big numbers, mm-hmm. um, and especially really big numbers for Philadelphia, like some of the ideas uh, before this were, can we bury I-95? Well, you're talking about billions of dollars yeah. and lots of windows closing and doors shutting when you go down a hallway when people <laughs> see you coming for that. Um, and, and so when I say take one block and demonstrate something, it's mm-hmm. still a big number. Um, but in the transportation world, a little over $400 million all in for the type of amenity and, and the different project elements that we're getting out of this is not really that substantial. Um, and, and so the, the challenge was um, first demonstrating the success of the vision. Can we leverage private investment? Can we create a place on the waterfront? Um, and once that success was in hand, then you go for the bigger project. Mm. And you say, okay, we have some momentum here. Um, are there partners? And we have tremendous partners on this. Um, PennDOT and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the City of Philadelphia, all the philanthropic partners that have helped us from the William Penn Foundation and Knight Foundation and Pew Charitable Trusts all came together and collected around this vision um, to, to put us where we are today, which is the groundbreaking. Quickly, Joe, when can people expect this to be open and done? It's a really good question, and we talk in ranges yep. um, because it's such a big and complicated project that has to do with moving traffic and, and detours. Um, and so we, we say somewhere from the four- to six-year range, um, different parts of it can open at different times. Yep. But until that final punch list walkthrough, you're probably somewhere in that range of four to six years. And 20 seconds or less, can you tell us how will this impact our commute once you guys break ground next week? So it will impact it, and PennDOT, our partner, is working on that uh, right now. Um, it will have some lane closures, but they're very conscious, and, and this had a robust community outreach process with it. So they've talked to everyone in the area, and they're coming up with those detours overnight work to try and mitigate that. Um, and so I think by the time we have real substantial groundbreaking, they'll have that figured out. Fantastic. That is Joe Forkin, president of the Delaware River Waterfront Corporation, overseeing this huge park project, the cap of I-95. Joe, really appreciate the time. Avi, Cherry, thank you so much for having me. Wonderful. Now, up next, Philadelphia School Superintendent Tony Watlington. Send in your questions at studio2 at whyy.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Welcome back to Studio 2. I'm Avi wolfman Aaron, And I'm Cherry Gregg. The time for back to school in Philadelphia is here. That means little kids excited and anxious for their very first day of kindergarten, middle and high schoolers preparing to get back into the swing of homework and tests and a new t- routine for parents and teachers, too. Like many. 
Yeah. School districts all across the country. A new school year comes with special challenges for Philadelphia. Health and safety remain a top concern. Attendance is an annual concern. And educators right now are trying to address pandemic-related learning loss. Superintendent Tony Watlington leads the School District of Philadelphia, which is the largest in the region. He joins us right now on Studio 2. Dr. Watlington, welcome. Uh, Good afternoon. Pleasure to be here. Give us a call, by the way, 888-477-9499 to participate in this conversation over the next 20 minutes. Also, email those comments to studio2 at org. So, uh, Dr. Watlington, I remember when you were applying for the job and you got it. You took about a year to sort of assess things, listen and get to know the school district. Um, I want you to sort of tell us what did you take away from your year of observations that then helped inform the strategic plan that we'll talk about later? I learned a lot about the uh, school district in the past year. And by the way, I remember very well being interviewed by you at 440 in the Mm -hmm, auditorium that mm -hmm. evening. So thank you. Good to see you again. Uh, Several things, several takeaways in year one. Number one, uh, this city has some really passionate people full of grit and determination. Uh, I learned at a listening and learning tour that was a bit of a crisis of confidence, maybe some in Philadelphia, certainly that impacted the school district. But um, they they absolutely want us to figure out how to work together to get better. They want us to improve outcomes for our young people so they can participate in this local economy and this U.S. economy, the largest in the country. But unfortunately, I think people in Philadelphia know all too well that too many of our children don't get a chance to participate as equal partners in that economy. I know it's a big sports town, a lot of passion. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You picked uh, up on that. Great, fine (laughs) city. And... uh, And so uh, I'm excited to work in partnership and to have met so many people over year one. And I feel like we've developed some synergy and some energy, and we've got a little momentum going into year two. All right. I want to talk about a big change, new math curricula being rolled out. Uh, It's going to cost the district, I believe, up to $20 million, this new uh, sort of packet of materials and strategies. Why this significant investment there? in how we teach math, because I feel like when it comes to instruction and teaching and learning, it's like the last thing people want to talk about sometimes, but it is so critical. What's new about this curricula and why the big investment there? I want to uh, begin answering that by saying two things. We've done research in this country for 50 years relative to what improves academic outcomes for all children and for black and brown and underperforming and poor children in particular. Number one, is a highly qualified, well-supported, stable teacher over time. One of the second big impactors is principals, same, highly qualified, well-supported. Once you have a highly qualified teacher and principal, the next thing that we ought to invest in is uh, systems that develop partnerships with parents, and we ought to, envelop, we ought to uh, invest in curriculum. Now, here's why. Teachers, we know, spend far too much time surfing the Internet, looking on Pinterest and all other places to get information and resources to teach children. Most of us grew up with what we thought about as textbooks, traditional textbooks. We don't do quite that anymore. We live such in a, in a, such a uh, fast-changing environment. Uh, you, years ago, you may have heard of this term called the new math. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Long story short, um, we're investing in curriculum 
uh, a new math curriculum, number one, because it's important what kids learn and the instructional resources that teachers have in classrooms. Number two, teachers should not be going all over the internet using their valuable time trying to find the right resources and supports that help kids learn. And number three, all of our children across Philadelphia should follow the same curriculum. I want to say that again. All of our children in Philadelphia should follow the same curriculum. Why is uniformity so important there? Uh, This is, uh, I'm told, the nation's largest poor city. And we have a good number of young people, as I've learned from former superintendent, Dr. Constance Clayton, uh, who serves as a mentor to me. Uh, It's really important that if Tony Watlington leaves school X on Friday, And because of my parents' income situation and eviction, I don't have the money, I have to move. Transit, poor people uh, sometimes have to move for no no fault of their own. And if they're transient, if I leave one school on Friday and I go to school B on Monday, I should be picking up on the same curriculum that I was learning in the previous school. Mm. It helps me to have continuity in my learning. The final reason why this is important is because uh, we too often take for granted what kids learn in school. Mm. Uh, under the leadership of our chief of curriculum, <clears throat> Dr. Nashawana Francis Thompson, we engage with hundreds of teachers across the district <clears throat> to take a look at what are the best curricula available in the United States, anywhere between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, in the area of math, English language arts, and science. And we didn't just do guesswork. We did a competitive search. We looked at the research from a national group called Ed Reports that studies curriculum and their impact on student learning. There's a science to this. Yeah. We put a man, we put peop, uh, humans on the moon, what, 50-plus years ago. Mm-hmm. It's not a rocket science about what it takes to significantly improve student achievement. The best standards align, culturally appropriate curricula matters. We're going to launch new curriculum in math this year. Next year, we're going to launch new curricula in English language arts, and then uh, we're going to uh, focus in on science, and we're going to spend upwards of $70 million in federal funds to do that. Now, in order to implement this new curricula, you need people. I want to talk about staffing. Um, Tons of stories that we've read and heard um, that there's been a teacher shortage. There's also been a bus driver shortage and other staffing. Where Where do things stand now, and do you have enough people uh, to, to launch the school year? Uh, we are, uh, as we run up to the opening of schools, we've got 95.3% of our teacher positions filled, uh, 96.7% of our counselor positions are filled, 98% of our climate managers are filled. Part of the difficulty of getting to 100% of teacher staffing is that across the country, there's a 50% reduction in the number of people who are graduating from high school and choosing to go to a college, public or private, to become a teacher. And it's worse in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. There's a 66% decline in that teacher pipeline in the state of Pennsylvania. So when people ask me, have you filled 100% of the teaching positions, I always say you're asking me the wrong question. If we're about outcomes, the right question is, What percentage of the positions have we filled with people who are qualified and ready Mm -hmm. to teach our most precious resource, our young people? I want to ensure our parents, though, that uh, uh, with 95.3% of our teaching positions filled, we will have a competent adult ready and waiting in every classroom on Tuesday, September 5th. 
we'll have to do some uh, reallocation of some folks who have teaching licenses who are doing coaching or curriculum jobs that will redeploy to classrooms. I don't want to dwell on this too much, but Tuesday, <coughs> September 5th, if you look at the weather forecast for next week, looks like it will be quite warm. This has always been a problem. And sometimes it's just bad luck. You had a cool week this week, but it looks mm-hmm. like a hot week next <coughs> week. Uh, how confident are you that schools will be able to open, especially schools that do not have air conditioning? Which is ho- over half of the schools. That's correct. 57%, in fact, that don't have adequate air condition uh, to keep kids in school all day uh, during hot weather events. Um, we are taking a look at the forecast, and we'll have more to say about that as early as tomorrow in terms of tomorrow, any okay. schedules that may be impacted. Certainly when the mercury climbs above a certain temperature, 86 degrees indoor, and the humidity levels are high uh, on those days, our uh, commitment is to always make sure that parents know the day before when we intend to uh, have an early release only in those schools that don't have adequate air conditioning. Let me tell you why it's so important that we have to find our way to a place where all of our schools are air conditioned. In our strategic plan, Accelerate Philly, one of our strategies is to pilot year-long school, a year-round calendar right. in up to 10 schools. And certainly th- we're going to do that planning work this year this year, so that we can launch that initiative next year. Uh, next year we actually start the school year earlier prior to Labor, the Labor Day holiday. Um, but uh, in a, it's so important that uh, that summer learning is so important and not having students to experience the summer learning loss. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to continue to do the good work we did this summer uh, to continue to add air conditioners and march our way on down the road to uh, getting all of our addition, uh, school buildings air conditioned. And if you are just tuning in, we are speaking with Dr. Tony Watlington, the superintendent for the School District of Philadelphia. We want to take your questions. You can call us at 888-477-9499. You can also email studio2 at whyy.org. Before we take a couple of the questions that we've received from our listeners, I want to ask you about the strategic plan. I know there are five basic principles. <clears throat> if you could just lay those out briefly, um, and, and we'll, we'll kind of piggyback off of that. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, There are five major priority areas in our strategic plan. Uh, Priority area one involves improving safety and well-being. Uh, And we've increased the number of Safe Paths programs. Uh, We're replacing analog cameras in up to 150 schools uh, to the tune of $47 million. Area two involves partnering with families and community. Basically, it's important for us to communicate and interact with parents as equal partners because they are our students first teachers. Priority area three is involves accelerating academic achievement. Uh, I think we are well on our way to doing that. This past year teacher attendance improved, student attendance improved, the number of kids who dropped out of school dropped by 265 Mm -hmm. students. And I think we're going to have some promising information to share in terms of reading and math performance Hmm. in the upcoming weeks as I've looked at the uh, preliminary. So data. you're looking at some stuff we haven't seen yet, but you like what you see. I like what I see. Absolutely. Mm. Priority area four involves recruiting and retaining highly uh, qualified and effective educators. And certainly priority area four involves uh, having uh, delivering high quality, cost effective operations, which we are absolutely committed to doing. Um, the pandemic, of course, has inspired this larger conversation around learning loss and what to do about it. We have an email here from Mike in Germantown. Are all grades in classrooms using pouches to take cell phones away? I think Mike is referring to the pouches that, that block the signal from these cell phones. Mike says the kids have too many distractions on top of learning loss. What can you tell Mike in Germantown? Uh, he's probably referring to uh, 
pouches that have been used in the district called yonder pouches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually went to a concert and had to put my phone in a yonder <laughs> pouch, so I'm familiar with this firsthand. Um, you know, there are two ways of looking at this. One side of the nickel is um, the the call the emailers point. Yep. Too many distractions. Let's get those cell phones away so that teachers can teach, so that we can make significant improvement in the school district. Um, without distraction. The other side of that nickel, there are a good number of parents who will say, look, I want my child to have his or her cell phone uh, because it's no secret that we live in a city that has an uh, unfortunate level of uh, uh, violence and I want to be able to reach my child at any time. The position I've taken as superintendent is that we won't mandate at the district level that schools, how schools implement uh, that kind of uh, initiative. We think that's a decision best made at the school level with parents mm-hmm. in that school community at the table. If the leadership teams of those schools, inclusive of parents, want yonder pouches, we support it. If the leadership team of those schools, inclusive of parents, don't want yonder pouches, I support that as well. Yeah, and I want to bring in a caller. Um, from C, uh, Our caller is Steve. It's talking about the tough job of being a teacher. Steve, you're on Studio 2. What's your question or comment? Hi there. Uh, my question for Dr. Watlington is how do they, how does the school district uh, intend to keep teachers when they are basically in, in highly untenable positions? My, my wife is a teacher in the district, and I can tell you that she sees 900 students come through her classroom on a six-day cycle. Uh, she, she works long hours. Uh, we know that the pay raises have been Adjusted for inflation, had been twenty nine dollars since nineteen ninety one. I believe was the what I read, or maybe it was ninety six. Anyhow, I'd, I'd like to know how you intend to keep teachers uh, in the district. Can you uh, can you speak to that concern? I mean, yeah. this is something we hear a lot. You mentioned mm-hmm. that there are there are national trends here, but at the at the local level, you really have to get teacher buy in. Uh, absolutely, uh, I think on on the. Uh, there are several things. First, let me acknowledge uh, uh, the caller's point. Um, uh, uh, I hear from teachers directly uh, this notion that it's an untenable job, untenable situation, given the plethora of challenges that they are asked to um, uh, try to address. And uh, I think there are a number of things that we're committed to doing uh, to recruit develop and retain more of our teachers, notwithstanding the teacher pipeline problem and shortage. Certainly at the top of the list, I'm a strong advocate for increasing teacher pay in all 50 states in the union. Uh, I don't know a state where uh, salaries are commensurate with the work that our teachers do, uh, and they have not kept pace with inflation, not just in Pennsylvania, but uh, in many other places as well. That's one piece of the nickel, but it's not only about money. I hear from the research and I hear from teachers that sometimes they leave the profession not limited to just uh, low salaries but also or inappropriate salaries but also because of support or Mm -hmm. a lack thereof. And so we have to support our teachers in terms of classroom management. We have to uh, be very clear about uh, how we expect students and adults who come into the school to comport themselves in terms of behaviors and how we also allow children to be children and to learn and to grow from mistakes they make. We have to help teachers in terms of providing meaningful professional development. Yeah. 
that is specific to what I need as a teacher. And, and let me do a quick follow-up because we have a related question from Ruth who says, as a retired teacher, I'm wanting to know with all the standardization that you want, all the curricula you're about to roll out, what will make a creative teacher want to work in Philly? That's an excellent question. And let me just tell you this. Teaching is an art and a science. On the science side of teaching, we know that kids have to know something about the routine. They have to know something about their we, we know that we need rigorous curricula. And we know there needs to be an appropriate scope and sequence to how we deliver instruction. That's the science part of it. On the art side of teaching, we never want to take away the academic freedom and the creativity from teachers. Teachers should have enough autonomy to figure out how to deliver the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so I don't expect that every classroom will look cookie cutter. Mm. We want teachers, the artistic and creative side of of our teachers to uh, flourish in the district. But it's limited if kids have to learn 50 different curriculum to curricula or three different curricula, particularly kids who move around. So I think it's not an either or, it's a both and situation. Can I just really quickly, because you did mention teacher pay, I believe the current Philadelphia Teachers Union contract expires one year from today. Have you started negotiations uh, on the next contract yet? Uh, we have a uh, deputy superintendent of talent, strategy, and culture, and a chief financial officer. They have that right in their sights. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I want to ask you um, and switch a bit because um, we've talked about teachers. We've talked about curricula. I got to ask you about safety. Um, Right now, um, you know, gun violence, um, shootings been trending downward, but still higher than pre-pandemic times. Our young people are like very much impacted. What's the school safety plan? What's going to be different from years past to keep kids safe and also give them the type of support that they need um, in dealing with trauma? Well, certainly uh, I'm going to talk about some uh, structural issues and then some other things that we're doing to support our students. Uh, Certainly in terms of physical safety, uh, we've expanded the number. This past school year, we expanded the number of safe paths programs to help uh, pay people to oversee children to make sure they get home safely because certainly parents should have an expectation when they send their children to school, they're going to return in the evening. Um, That was expanded from six to 13 schools last school year. We continue to work with the Philadelphia Police Department. Uh, I had a meeting with uh, uh, our Chief of Safety, Kevin Bethel, and our Police Commissioner Outlaw uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And we're continuing to work with the Philadelphia Police Department uh, with our safety zones. Uh, there's a total of 27 safety zones that encompass 40 district and charter schools where we have an increased law enforcement, armed law enforcement's presence around those schools that have had an uptick in violence. We're also uh, beginning to work uh, through our capital funding to add uh, to the tune of $47 million uh, to update all of our analog uh, camera systems at 150 schools. Uh, with closed circuit TV systems, with it, which help us to have a better mm-hmm. uh, uh, eyes and ears about what's going on. I know that our chief, our safety office is also looking at the possibility of using some drone technology. Now, outside of those physical investments, we launched uh, some online resources to provide additional support to our secondary students who need more people to talk to, uh, given the uptick in violence, the uptick in rates of depression and anxiety and the like. 
uh, because of all the trauma that our students experience. It's a it's an international provider known as Kooth, K-O-O-T-H, free of charge to our students. And we've launched something very similar for all of our faculty and staff members in the school district at no charge called Lyra Help. Uh, there's another side of the safety coin, or mm-hmm. the nickel, I guess, to to, to borrow your phrase. Yeah. Um, and it, it gets at the something that Shirley, one of our commenters, wanted to know. Shirley says, I have reviewed the school district's COVID-19 protocols, and I am interested to know how you will determine if there is an outbreak and how exactly you will handle it. Will there be a move to remote learning, mask mandates? What can you tell Shirley? Um, this school year, we're, unlike last school year, we'll be getting the year maskless. Uh, certainly, we'll continue to uh, uh, follow the latest uh, CDC guidance as well as the Philadelphia Department of Public Health. We're fortunate in the school district because we have a, a medical officer, Dr. Kendra McDowell, who helps keep us current on trends in the city. Uh, so we'll follow the guidance from the uh, Philadelphia Department of Public Health. I got a chance this morning to start my day speaking with nurses from across the school district that were uh, meeting out at uh, Lincoln Financial Field. Um, I, I think uh, my, my hope is that we'll be in a much better place. But at this time, uh, we think that we're going to follow the simple guidance of uh, masking is optional. And when people are sick or they contract covid uh, we won't be big brother or big sister. We're just asking people to follow the guidance. If you're so sick, stay home. So it's sort of self-enforced. There's no, self-enforced. There's no tracking that you're doing actively. It's the same thing if, uh, that we've done forever in this, in this city and country. If you've got the flu, stay home. Don't infect other people. We, we, we all have to manage our own health in that regard. Yeah, and we only have a couple more minutes, but the school district has been losing students for quite some time before your tenure. Um, we now went from 200,000 students at one point to about 113,000. What is your message to parents who have, may have kids in the district and they're trying to decide whether to, to, to wait on this plan, to, go, to, to make some results happen, or, or take their kids out? What do you say to them? I, I want to say to our parents, quite frankly, uh, uh, we, are, uh, we want to win your confidence because we can provide a very good education, if not an excellent education, in the school district of Philadelphia. It's no secret that there are two hundred ten years ago there were two hundred thousand public school children in Philly, Philadelphia. Fast forward ten years, there's still two hundred thousand students. Uh, what's different is there's less in the traditional public schools, more in the public charter schools. I'm the superintendent that represents the traditional public schools, so I want to say this to you: mm-hmm. teacher attendance is up by uh, almost seven percentage points. Uh, student attendance is up by three percentage points, meaning teachers and students who are in school ninety percent of the year. Um, the number of students who dropped out of school is down by 265, and preliminary data shows that we're going to have something uh, to say about improved performance in terms of the bottom line brass tacks reading and math performance, as measured by standardized test scores. The school district also has the best financial uh, investment grade credit rating uh, we've had in 40 years. Last year, it was upgraded again from positive to from stable to positive. If all of these things don't say good things are happening in the school district of Philadelphia, the nation's eighth largest school district, then uh, I'm not sure what I can say to you to inspire confidence that we can get better. Our goal is to be the fastest improving large urban school district in the country. And I I absolutely believe we're well on our way. So you're selling them on the idea that we're not there, but the momentum is positive. The momentum is positive. Um, This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. But I think we've come out of the blocks pretty well. 
Well, we'll leave it there. Yeah. We'll uh, end our race, I suppose, uh, this conversation (laughs) with Tony Watlington, superintendent of the School District of Philadelphia. Tony, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And coming up next, it's Thursday. You know what it is. Trivia. Is it Thursday? You're about to put on a Quizmaster hat. I got to change gears. All right. Let's do trivia coming up on Studio Two. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. And as we wrap up the week, this is Studio Two. I'm Avi wolfman Arendt. And I'm Cherry Gregg. And today, my friends... It's Trivia Thursday. Oh, you changed the tempo <laughs> yeah, a little trying, bit there. Yeah, I'm trying, you know, I don't want to get... Because usually it's Thursday. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to switch it up. Switch Interesting. Keep me on up. my toes. I like That's that. That's right. And you may have heard a new voice on the WHYY airwaves over the past couple of days. Matthew Gillum is our newest FM anchor, and we're so excited to have him here. Matt, welcome to Studio 2, and welcome to WHYY. Thank you. Hello. Welcome. I'm so happy to be uh, in your studio here. Absolutely. Wait, can I ask you a real quick quick question? Go for it. Professionally, are you a Matthew or a Matt? I have been a Matt from day one. You're Uh, a Matt from day one. So they know now your full government name. (laughs) Government. But this is the only time they're going to hear it. You're Matt. I'm Matt, never again with uh, the other name, please. <laughs> and the other thing that's cool about you're you... You're not my parents. <laughs> the other thing that's cool about you, Matt, you moved here from California. You're a California native. Uh, yeah, I, I'm born and raised in ca- Southern California, so uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, watching my tan slowly fade and knowing it won't be coming back anytime soon. Because <laughs> this is Philly, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, humidity, wow. But it's actually been gorgeous the last few days, yeah, I was so gonna I, I'm tell you. That. I was going to tell you, Matt, the weather you are experiencing right it's now, not normal. it's a nice transition for you. Just <laughs> I want you to know that it's going away. Completely as soon as atypical. Next week. Great. Soon, and then and then we get to the next season, the cold season. Yeah. And that's a whole nother beast, Matt. You got your, I assume you got parkas and you're ready. I don't do, I don't do puffy jackets. Okay. Uh, oh, so, no bubble coat? Pea coats? Or? Oh, yeah. Co- coats, jackets, like actual things like that. Wool. I like wool. You're, like, but you're I'm a not, classy, refined sort of guy. I try, but it it's, it's not going to be the puffy. You have a really cool stash there. <laughs> Could I also say, um, Matt, gosh, you have a beautiful voice. You really do. I told you that when we first met. I mean, I thank you. I, I, I never realized that. And radio is sort of like something I sort of, I don't want to say I fell into it, but it's like, oh, this is cool. Let's try it out. And then people have said, oh, you have a great radio voice. Yeah. But I never thought that. Yeah. It's just me talking. And you've been to a couple of towns. I know one once you were in I, I, I Idaho. State. There Idaho. it is. There we go. <laughs> not Iowa, not Ohio. Idaho. Idaho, all right. Idaho, California, Philadelphia. Okay, awesome. so you're from Southern California, mm-hmm. L.A. Uh, we're going to ask you a movie question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so one of the most famous Philadelphians uh, was Grace Kelly, the movie star who later became Princess of Monaco. Uh, Kelly starred in the movie Rear Window with what leading man? I'm going to give you four guesses, Matt. James Cagney, James Stewart, Cary Grant, or Gregory Heck, think about it. This is an ideal question Ooh, because really? I am a Hitchcock fanatic. Really? Okay. okay. So if you get this wrong, so uh, then yeah, then I, I'm gonna just look real <laughs> you, dumb. You just have to turn around and go back to you California. You built it up. Okay. Go ahead. Go okay, ahead. Bye. Uh, it was it was uh, Jimmy Stewart. Let's oh, let's hear it. My neighbors. First, I watched them just to kill time, but then I couldn't take my eyes off them. 
You are so right. We all know winner, that. Winner, winner, chicken uh-huh. dinner. So we got to give him a tote bag. We're going to give you, we might give you a mug and, and a, a tote and bag. And a tote, yeah. It, because of the, the full public radio care package. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, we just want to say we are just, we're Excited. thrilled to have you here. Yeah. Um, and we look forward to working with you. You sound amazing. Um, and you're only going to get better because you're going to learn more and more about Philly. And they're going to love you. Yeah. And I got to say, Matt is cool as a cucumber he because- is. Getting put on the air, like only like on day three of being at WHRY, <laughs> not did not one bit of sweat from the forehead. Yeah. Well, I, I, I thank you for revealing the secret. Yes, this is my third day at the station and in Philadelphia. And here I am just hanging out in the middays with with the listeners and getting to spend some time with you guys. A true and professional. Matt, by the way, your first weekend coming up here as a, as a WHYY employee living in Philadelphia and WHYY's Tanya Pendleton has rounded up oh, a list yeah. of things to do just for you, Matt, in our region. Take it away, Tanya. It's ironic that Labor Day is celebrated with a day off. But it's a day that workers deserve, as I'm sure you'll agree. It's also the unofficial end of summer, although the autumnal equinox doesn't happen until September 23rd. So there's still time to enjoy typically summer pursuits like cookouts, outdoor concerts, and festivals. The folks at Canstetter Volkfest Vereen enjoy the holiday weekend with a big bash. The Labor Day Volkfest has been celebrated by the German-American community for a hundred and 51 years. The three-day festival goes from Saturday through Monday, starting at noon each day. German traditional music performances, food, and yes, plentiful steins of German beer will all be featured. Viva Brazil! Brazilian Day Philadelphia is Sunday at the Great Plaza at Penn's Landing. It's part of the Pico Multicultural Series that ends on October 1st. Brazilian culture, dance, and music is highlighted from capoeira to samba reggae. Enjoy a caipirinha, the country's national drink, Brazilian churros, and coxinhas while you watch live music and dance performances. The festivities start at 1 p.m. The Oval has had a successful summer with a series of events that transformed stately Eakins Oval into the far sexier Oval. For the first time this year, they're extending the party through the Labor Day weekend. Events include a screening of Shazam, a concert with performances by several local artists, including McKee and Reese, community yoga, and playtime for kids. We'll have all the details on our website, whyy.org slash things to do. I've looked into my Kelly Green crystal ball, and I see another Super Bowl win for the Eagles. If you want to cheer them on before the season opener, they're having a Kelly Green block party tonight on Fairmont Avenue from 22nd to Corinthian. We don't know exactly who's coming out, but we do know some players will be there. Come on out in your Eagles gear for the music, fun, food, and games. It's all free, and it goes from 5 to 10 p.m. Every breath he takes must be dedicated to creating timeless music. Sting is coming to South Jersey. The singer-songwriter is headed to the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino on Sunday. The show starts at 8 p.m. 
And at the Dell Music Center, veteran Philly radio personalities Patty Jackson and Lady B will throw their annual parties on Saturday and Sunday, bringing classic R&B and hip-hop to the outdoor venue. When you say you love me, it doesn't matter. It goes into my head as just chit-chatter. You may think it's egotistical or just... While we're coming to the end of this week's Things to Do, a stellar career is winding down as well. Steven Tyler and Aerosmith were on their last tour, appropriately titled Peace Out, The Farewell Tour. The band checks into the Wells Fargo Center on Saturday. The show starts at 7 p.m. We have to say, fellas, it's been a wild ride. Thanks for the memories. We hope all your dreams come true this holiday weekend, and if you missed the details of what you heard or want info on even more events, including where you can find the Arts and Jazz Festival in Delaware this weekend, head to our website at whyy.org slash things to do. Whatever you choose to do, have a great weekend, everyone. Dream on. I want to do that. That scream. <laughs> Please don't. But everybody might Please run away. <laughs> we no, want people is. to come back on Tuesday, Charlie. That is very true. Someone once told me I look like the um, the guitarist from that band, Aerosmith. And I was like, how do you know what the guitarist from Aerosmith even not, like? Not Steven Tyler. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. One of the other guys in the band. I was like, how do you even know what these people look like? You have to be a real Aerosmith fan. I hope that person is going to the last tour. I hope so, too. Yeah. It's called Peace Out. Peace I out. love the name, by the way. Can't come back from that, by the way. You call your tour Peace Out, you better you really peace go. Out. You like, really don't come go. back in five years. They've been iconic, though. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Labor Day weekend. Perfect time to close it out, especially since we don't have Made in America this weekend. So. We do not. Yes. So yeah. uh, Labor Day weekend, not quite as busy in Philly as, as sometimes it, yeah. it is. But Tanya gave us a lot of stuff to she do. She did. What's that coming up right there, Cherry? Ooh. In our in our, in our our ears. Sounds like... The one and only Dolly Parton. <laughs> and if you're wondering why we're hearing a Dolly Parton song, we talked to author James Patterson on Tuesday about his latest book, Set in Philly. He published Run, Rose, Run last year with Dolly Parton. And if you missed it, guess what you can do? Listen to Tuesday's podcast. You certainly can. And there's a Dolly Parton anecdote in there. That is it for Studio 2 this week, our producers. Debbie Builder, Paige Murray Bessler, and Andreas Copes. Tina Calake engineered today's show. For more Studio 2, head to whyy.org slash Studio 2 from Studio 2 at WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm Avi Wolfman Aaron. And I'm Cherry Gregg. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Thank you, friends, for joining us. <laughs>